And the high road is not choosing between the good and the bad. Anybody can do that. You can do that without God. But the high road is choosing between the good and the best, and always choosing the best. Welcome back to the Baptist Friends Podcast with Dr. Clarence Sexton, where we gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism. Good morning. I'm glad all of you are joining us. I'm praying God will really speak to our hearts really work in a mighty way in our lives. I'm going to pray together in just a moment. And uh, I want to remind you of something in just a moment, but let us pray together, okay? Our Father, we thank Thee for this day, for Thy love and mercy. I bring to my heart and mind what needs to be said. Guide us by Your Spirit. May Christ be honored in all we do this day. In his name and for his sake, we pray this. Amen. I want you to remember that all true profundity, everything that's truly profound, is always clothed in simplicity. And sometimes we, we seek things and work too hard and stumble over the obvious. And so, may God guide us and help us. I have some statistical things I'm going to bring to you in just a moment. But uh, I want to bring a little report to you first from Heron, Montana. My wife and I were out there this past week. And we saw the blessing of God on our work there. We call the passage. The passage. We have 120 acres in Heron, Montana, in the corner of Montana. Just, just miles, a few miles, a handful of miles from Clark Fork, Idaho. And it is the area where Lewis and Clark pass through on the Northwest Passage. And so we took that idea of the passage and applied it to what we're doing there in that part of the world. The whole idea is Lewis and Clark were there trying to find a Northwest Passage. Uh, they were at the direction of the president and uh, Thomas Jefferson sent them out. They never found the passage. They never discovered a Northwest Passage, a way to travel from east to west, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, uh, the, the thing they were trying to find. But they did so many wonderful things discovering, discovering all through that part of the world. And they were very close to where we have our property. And we have 120 acres of the most beautiful property. I guess I could safely say, and many people would agree with me, the most beautiful property in America. And uh, we have uh, retreats there, camps there, a lot of wonderful things going on there. We instituted a bushcraft uh, camp, which really will turn into a little more than that with not only bushcraft things, but also with the, um, with the work of pioneering things and frontier things. But it is an amazing thing what God is doing. And our hope and prayer is that people make the passage when they're there, they make that passage spiritually. They allow the Lord to do something in their hearts that only God can do. And everybody needs that meeting with the Lord, everybody. 
And so I want you to keep praying. Pray that God will continue to work. We've got a full staff of people there uh, going strong. And uh, all of the information will be on the internet for the passage. And then we have, of course, our camp in, uh, in Texas, in Lake Texoma, on the border of Texas and Oklahoma. And then we have our camp here in the greater Knoxville area. And then there's the camp in England, in the UK, with what's going on there, Camp Victory. So wonderful things are happening and we give God the glory. We just had a pastor's wife retreat at the passage and so needy to try to help and encourage pastors and pastor's wives in the Northwest United States of America. I want you to get interested and pray about that and pray about all of it. Pray for Lake Texoma and James and his lovely new wife there and all that God is doing. And we want to have not just the most terrific summer imaginable, but we want God to work in those properties and use them all year long. So we're very thankful to God for all of it. Now I have some things to say with uh, today about the one way out of our present dilemma. And we're in a dilemma. We need to admit that we're in a dilemma. I want to read some things to you to preface a little bit uh, of what I'm going to say. A new study by Lifeway Research reports that the number of new Protestant churches, that's their way of saying it, was eclipsed by church closings. In other words, more churches are closing for the first time in, in America than are opening. Now, that is something that we are not used to saying and seeing and witnessing. Their survey says that they found that 4,500 churches closed in 2019 compared to 3,000 new churches starting in the same time. Now think about that. Uh, and then there is a statement here from released by the National Association of Evangelicals on the state of the plate, meaning the offering plate. And it found that a third of churches, 34%, reported that giving has dropped between 10 and 20%. About one in five churches, 22%, said the decline was between 30 and 50%. Almost a tenth of the churches, 9%, report a drop of 75% or more in giving in their congregation. Now you, you think about that. And we're, we're facing a dilemma. Um, the Forbes magazine people said recently, in 18 months, in 18 months, we're going to see the greatest catastrophe, these are my words, not their words, economically, that we've seen in decades. And of course, that's going to affect our churches, no doubt about it. So what is the one way out of this dilemma? Uh, someone texted me today and asked me about a particular church that I'm very familiar with and what kind of shape they're in. And I hated to say what I had to say, but the shape they're in is terrible because they've tried everything imaginable to have church except the one thing that God said in his word. There's one dirty word that all of us need to get back into our vocabulary and our behavior. One dirty word. It's filthy, and we need to get it back into our vocabulary and our behavior. It is the word obedience. Obedience to God. That's the only remedy, the only way out of the dilemma that we're in. And what we have to do is to get serious about our thinking about whether we're obeying the Lord. Every church is structured a certain way. Our church, 
Um, contrary to what some people believe this day and time, our church is organized to function through the Sunday school. Meaning that everybody who's a member of our church and many hundreds of people who are not members of our church are enrolled in a Bible teaching Sunday school. Now you may do that or you may not do that. That's the way I was trained. I've been in the ministry 55 years and uh, I think there be, needs to be a revival of the Sunday school. There's no doubt in my mind about that. It's all the Bible to all the people, teaching all the Bible to all the people. Uh, years ago, you heard things like, um, are, you, are you teaching the Bible? Are you studying the Bible? Are you preaching the Bible? It was all about building your life on the Bible. I remember when I was just a young fellow uh, traveling and preaching, I wound up near a place in Covington, Kentucky. And uh, I heard about a man by the name of E-Step. And he was on his last leg, but he was a great preacher, a wonderful preacher, pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church there. And he had made a way of going through the word of God to all of his people. And he taught the word of God every week to all the people. He called a young associate uh, who had been with Youth for Christ, who really, uh, truth be known, was a gospel magician, graduate of Moody Bible Institute, a great young man, and uh, he called him to be his associate. Dr. E.B. Eastep evidently saw some amazing things in the man's life, and, uh, but he called him as a young man, and he turned his Bible teaching in his church over to this young man. And um, he had notes through the Old Testament and notes through the New Testament. You could get those years ago. You can't get them now, I don't guess. But he turned that over that, to that young man to prepare the Bible studies. The young man's name was Warren Wearsby. And that was the beginning of the B series of things that Wearsby learned. And he learned the Bible by learning to teach the Bible and prepare the Bible lessons for Dr. Eastep there at the Calvary Baptist Church. He went on from there uh, to the Moody Church and then uh, to uh, National Radio Ministries, teaching the Word of God. But everywhere you went, people were trying to get the Word of God in real Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. It was built on the Bible people teaching the word of God. And there was nothing, nothing else made a major thing except the word of God. And now we've gone to methodology and everything imaginable, and we've left theology for methodology. And it's now how to do something, how to get it. What's the big how? And the fact of the matter is, People don't even know why. And we, we need a revival, a revolution, really, in our churches. And this is what we've got to have. There's only one way out of the dilemma. We're in an awful dilemma. And there's only one way out of it. And that's God's way, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Now, I'm going to try to deal with two things. And I want you to follow along, if you would, please. I want you to follow along from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the most personal of the letters Paul wrote. And I'm going to read a portion of it to you from chapter 1, verse 1 and following. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, unto the church, Unto the church, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us 
in all our tribulation. That, I want you to mark the little word that, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. In other words, God lets something happen to us and we learn something about the Lord and we can comfort other people. The Bible goes on to say, verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. The Bible says, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came unto us in Asia, that we, pre we were pressed out of measure above strength in so much that we despaired even of life that's how much of a dilemma they were in but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves but in god which raiseth the dead what powerful powerful expressions who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also be ye also helping together by prayer for us that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons Thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Now, I come to this verse 12. I want you to get it. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, word. Now, he says, this is what it has all brought us to. It's brought us to simplicity and godly sincerity. It's brought us to obedience to Christ, to the point where the Lord is all in all for us. He's everything. And so I want you to know that you might be trying to do something in your church to get ahead, to get out of something, to get above something, and to move forward. But the truth of the matter is, there's no other way but God's way. There's no other way. In other words, God says through the voice of the Apostle Paul penning these words to us, that God brought him to the point when he was pressed out of measure. The dilemma was beyond what anybody could explain so much so that they despaired even of life. And then he says, the sentence of death was in us. But we, we went through all of that so we wouldn't trust in ourselves. But we're trusting in the Lord. And trusting in the Lord, we put our faith in God, who delivered us from so great a death, and death deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. He delivered. He doth deliver. He will yet deliver us. Now, all over the country, there are preachers trying to find their way out. And uh, they're grabbing for ideas, maybe for the next big thing. When we already have the big thing, the big thing is the Lord Jesus Christ. The big thing is the word of God. 
and there's nothing, nothing like the uninterrupted teaching and preaching of God's word. And we must, we must remove ourselves from all these, all these things grabbing at us for some quick fix. I, I heard years ago that people looking for a church, 80% of them are trying to find the best song service. So have an emotional experience. They want to have some worship experience. How long do you think that lasts? How long? I've been serving God in the ministry for 55 years. And I, I rejoice in the things that God has done and what I've seen him do. And at the Greenback Memorial Baptist Church in Greenback, Tennessee, a little farming village of 350 people, the preaching and teaching of God's word, the winning of souls, the growing and the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is all we had, but it's all we needed. And God blessed. We saw people saved and then we taught people how to win people to the Lord. And in that little village, God did an amazing work. He proved himself to us. Has God ever proven himself to you? Has he ever proven himself through his word? Do you still love his word and love teaching and preaching his word? There's only one way out of our dilemma. And that's the way God's given us in his word. There's no other way. And when I went to the Calvary Baptist Church in Lenore City, Tennessee, a church that had a pastor for 21 years, a good man, misguided. We may say sometimes things were dead and they weren't really dead. There's always a remnant in a church that's ready to do something for the Lord. There's always a remnant in a church. And God will speak to that remnant. There is a group of people sitting before you, waiting to hear you proclaim the word of God, ignited by the Holy Spirit of God, and their hearts will be struck with that same holy fire, and they'll be ready to do something. I know what happens, and you know what happens. I went to the Madison Avenue Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey, 11 miles from New York City, in the third most densely populated city in America. My wife and I were there over eight years in the most wonderful opportunity God ever gave a man. And the Lord spoke to people. God spoke to me. And the people demanded of me to hear the word of God. They had had a famous preacher. I had two famous preachers through the years. One was Edward Drew, who retired in his 70s and went to St. Petersburg, Florida. And some people in the retirement villages there asked him to speak. And he stayed until his late 90s preaching the word of God. He became famous in St. Petersburg. The other pastor they had in that church years ago was a man who's still alive and still going strong for God, George Sweeting. And George Sweeting is one of the most visionary men I ever knew. And I'm including in that Lee Robertson among those visionaries when I worked for Dr. Robertson. What I'm trying to say in, in the dilemma with the news of 4,500 churches closing in a year. Think in a day, how many people that would be? How many churches, how many people giving up? And uh, we're going to hear more and more of this, offerings falling off and all this kind of business. And people are going to get desperate. But when they get desperate, don't get desperate with them, except getting desperate to dig in the word of God and let the word of God dig into you. Stay with the Bible and preach the word of God. Be instant in season, out of season. Stay with the word of God. Become the student God wants you to be of his word and of, of knowing the Lord Jesus and put it to it, the people just that way. May God help you. I want you to remember this expression in 2 Corinthians the chapter 1. Paul said, after all he went through, he learned that God had delivered, God will deliver, God is delivering, 
And then he said, he also helping together by prayer for us. We can pray for one another. You and I can pray for one another and be specific about it. We can pray for one another. And so he goes on to say in verse 12, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in simplicity, that has to do with singleness. I want you to think about your ministry. I want you to think about all that you do, all the, the fractured pieces you're chasing after. And God says it ought to get to the point where there's singleness in this, simplicity in this. What are you here for? What are you doing? What's God called you to do? In simplicity and godly sincerity. So scripture, scripture, simplicity, godly sincerity. May God help us. I determined I was going to talk to you about something that um, God's put on my heart. And that's it. I, I was just, as I said, I was just in Montana. I was just in the middle of what people say is the most needy part of America in the Northwest United States. Fewer people in church, fewer people even thinking about church. And people have a tendency to jump at things, to grab at things. Uh, my heart hurts when I think about so many good men, young men, who have left the main thing for some secondary thing. Don't do it. Don't do it. You may organize your church the way our church is organized through the Sunday school, or you may not. We're organized to function, but we ought to teach the preschoolers the word of God, give them the foundation. Teach the children the word of God, give them the foundation. They ought to get the word of God and make sure that you've got people who understand that, not just fun and games, but getting them founded in the word of God. Teach the teenagers the word of God. Reach them with the gospel and teach them the word of God. And if it's young adults, the word of God. Adults, the word of God. Couples, the word of God. The Bible is 1,189 chapters, 66 books. Do you know God? Do you know his word? This is the only way out. God has worked in our lives in such a way that we have been brought to the point where Lord, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And the answer is right in front of us. Please, please, it's right in front of us. I want you to go with me for a moment to the opening chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis. And I want you to remember something, that in these opening chapters of the Bible, we have God's revelation to us. It is the revelation of God. And God deals with the fall of man. And the fall of man explains, explains for all mankind the key to our understanding and explanation of the human condition. That we're confronting unbelief. Nothing other than the Bible explains this. There's no other place to look for it. There's no other survey to go to find it. What we find in the word of God, we find nowhere else. As God tells us what is wrong and the way he's made for salvation through Christ and Christ alone. So many are trying to prove there is no God. And so many are trying to prove what we're saying is wrong, but nothing, nothing is clearer than what God gives in his word. Accept it for what it is. It's God's revelation of himself. What you're reading when you read the account is the divine account of what has happened here. And uh, may God help us. Only the Bible speaks of the fall of man 
Only the Bible talks about the remedy for the fall of man. And only the Bible deals with why man fell. And it is given to us in the word of God. A perfect garden, a perfect garden, a senior angel falls, indwells and occupies an animal, begins speaking <coughs> to our first parents, Adam and Eve, and tries to get them to do one thing, and that is disobey God. Disobey God. Remember, sin began in the garden. Eve chose to believe the lie. And Eve and Adam were powerfully intellectual people. Everything God put in mankind, in its original genes, were in them. They would, would be able to, from them, work that which is going to be to all humanity. And the mind that determined the deed was the best mind that was ever on earth in man. There's nothing like it except the Lord Jesus when he came as the second Adam. And still some people want to know, what in the world are people in the 21st century doing believing such a story because it is the only thing in the Bible that tells us it's the only thing in the world that tells us what is truly wrong. When Eve chose to disobey God, she opened up a world for herself and Adam disobeying God opened up a world of sin. And the Bible says that the devil came to them tempting them and the word of God tells us in the book of first John chapter 2 and verse 16 for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world that's all the devil can give you that's all the world the flesh and the devil has to offer and all of that is revealed to us in the Word of God, in the opening chapters of the Bible. Now, when you're dealing with people on a daily basis, what are you going to tell them? How to be a better man? How to be a better woman? It's impossible to be what they ought to be apart from the Savior. Did you know that what you're doing is the most important thing being done on the face of God's earth, of the billions of people on the earth. The message you're giving is the most important thing, the essential thing that needs to be given to all mankind. The Bible says in the book of Romans, in the fifth chapter of the book of Romans, in verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous think of that and we're comparing the sinful adam and eve our first parents and the disobedience to the obedience of the lord jesus christ and what he came to do. God promised a Savior. And he kept his promise. The Lord Jesus Christ. Became a man without ceasing to be God. Tell people that. In other words. Don't, don't tire of the story of the gospel. Don't, don't grow old with the thing that, that God's given us. It's the only thing that will work. It's the only thing that will get the job done. God became a man without ceasing to be God. He lived a sinless life. He owed no sin debt. 
He went to the cross and paid our debt. He bled and died for us. He was buried and he rose from the dead. His resurrection is the evidence that everything he said is validated. Everything. Because he rose the dead. As he said, the angel said he has risen. As he said, he said he would rise. And he did. He spent 40 days with the disciples and he ascended to heaven. And what I'm saying to you again and again and again, don't be tempted to try something other than what God's given you to do. Stay with the gospel. Stay with the truth. Just be filled with God's Holy Spirit and preach the word of God boldly to people everywhere you go. It is the only message God's given us. And may God help us to do it. It is the one thing, the only one thing that is the, the only way out. I'm going to share something with you here uh, I found from universities and colleges when they started and how far they've drifted. And before I read it, I'm going to say to you, it's alarming but the most alarming thing is how far churches have drifted. Don't let it happen in your life. Don't let it happen in your church. You say, not everybody believes what I'm trying to preach. You find a group that does. Work with the remnant that will rise to the challenge. But don't give up. It may be a dozen people. It may be 10 people, it may be a half a dozen people, and the, the burden of it rests on their back. But stay with it. Just stay with it. Princeton University started, and they chose a motto. Under God, she flourishes. Harvard University started in 1642. And their motto was, everyone shall consider as the main end of his life and studies to know God and Jesus Christ, who is eternal. That's how they started. Duke University started with James Duke writing the mission statement in 1924. The aims of Duke University are to assert a faith in the eternal union and knowledge and religion set forth in the teachings and character of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's how they started. Yale University had this mission statement in 1701. Students are expected to live religious, godly, blameless lives according to the rules of God's word diligently reading the holy scriptures the foundation of light and truth and constantly attend upon all the duties of religion both in public and secret furthermore every student is instructed to consider the main end of his studies to wit to know god in jesus christ and lead a godly sober life the University of Tennessee, for which I graduated years ago with a degree in education before I went to seminary, started by a Presbyterian minister. The Presbyterian minister who started the University of Tennessee chose as the motto for the university, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Today, all they want to talk about is transgender. Today, all they want to do is change the pronouns so we're not giving people some sort of problem with their transgender phobia. Today, they, they reign as the university that had the first female marriage recognized. But they started, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Crown College 
God gave me the opportunity to start it, 1991. We started speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. And if you took all these universities, I hope Crown College never drifts, but if you took all these universities, renowned universities, and you think, how could they ever move to the positions they've taken today? Where now, all they've become for the most part is something to indoctrinate people in the things of the devil. Why? Why? Because every person has a choice, a time of choosing to choose to obey God or to find a better way. To live in simplicity and godly sincerity or to think you've got a better idea. What we need is a real revival, a revolution back to God. That's what we we're praying for. And today in the Shepherd Summit, we've got 1,400 and nearly 1,500 pastors who are enlisted in this. And I'm just pleading with you and pleading with you and pleading with you. Don't drift. Don't drift. You want to in increase your influence? Dr. Robertson said to me, Lee Robertson looked me in the face one day and said, Clarence, you want to increase your influence? I said, of course I do. He said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This will extend your influence like nothing else will extend your influence. And you are a child of God. You know the way. You know the word of God. And you can know the word of God. People are starving to death to know what God says. Don't dare settle for something else. Don't drift. I think it'd be good to preach a sermon, maybe a couple of them, on the fall of man again. And remember that it is the story of God revealing to us why we have war, why we have lying, why we have disease, why we have disobedience, why we're in the condition we're in. And evil men and seducers only wax worse and worse. Stay with it. Help people understand. And if they say, well, we're, we're in another age, uh, an enlightened time. No, no, no. You never get farther than the need you have of God. And God's word. And God explains to us in the opening of the word of God by divine revelation, not only the condition of man in his sinful condition and dis disobedience, the choice to disobey God, but why we need a savior. No amount of our good, no work we've done or could ever do can take the place of our need of the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. He's the only way of salvation. He's the only Savior. I want you just to rejoice again that you are where God wants you to be. You are doing what God's given you to do. And we need to just say, Lord, help me. Renew my strength and help me in all of this not to give in, not to give up, not to change, just to stay everlastingly at it. Not only should we do that in our churches, we should lead our churches to start other churches. Let's pray for real revival. That's what God wants us to do. There's no doubt about it. And I'm pleading with you, take this motto in simplicity and godly sincerity. And remember this powerful, powerful word, obedience. God has given me one thing to do, not 10 things, not a thousand things, but God has given me one thing to do, and that is to obey him, to obey him, to see what he says in his word and to say, yes, Lord, that's what I will do.
and to lead my church do the same. But when you find somebody who's resisting it, God gives you the strength to deal with it. Stay with it. Don't let them blow you off course. God will bless you. We shall reap in due season if we faint not. It's our obedience that God is asking for. It's the only thing the Lord wants. I want to give that to him. He was obedient even to the death of the cross, even to the death of the cross. For me, I want to be obedient to him. And may God help us. I'm trying to exhort you and encourage you today. And I'm trying to help you in your church to be the man of God. God requires for us to be. I have some questions that you've sent to me to be clear on a position that you take as a church. Do you all practice the Lord's Supper as a close or close or open ordinance? Well, let's back up a little. The Lord Jesus Christ established the local church. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He established his church and he gave us two things. Tell your people. Remember that you're not preaching to be heard. You're preaching to be repeated. Teach your people. Say it often. Say it till they're saying it. He gave us doctrine. That's our belief in teaching. And the Bible provides our doctrine and belief in teaching. The sole authority for our faith and practice is the word of God. So he taught us doctrine. He taught his disciples doctrine. And they continued in the apostles' doctrine. He gave a second thing, and that's ordinances. Those are the things he ordered that we do. Now, why did the Lord order that we do them? He said, do these in remembrance of me in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Both of them picture his death. I've written little booklets that you can distribute to your people on believers' baptism and what it means from the Bible. The Lord's Supper, what it means to the Bible. May you want to get a copy of those things and give them out to your people when you observe the Lord's Supper. Or maybe you want to give them to people when they're baptized. But ordinances, those are the things he ordered that we do. Now, I'm going to be frank with you, and some of you will disagree. I do not practice closed communion. I never have. I never have. Some people do. And if they do, I'm not going to fuss for them. I'm going to ask that they don't fuss with me. The fact of the matter is, I say to people when we have the Lord's Supper, do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you obeyed him in believer's baptism? Are you a sincere Christian asking God to work in your heart as you come to the Lord's table? And we invite people to come to the Lord's table just that way. But I'm answering your question. The second question, how would you deal with someone in your church that is struggling with salvation? Well, the Spirit of God can bring people to assurance. That is one of the most difficult things to tackle. But, but it is the Lord. You can't bring somebody to assurance of salvation. You can provide for them the Word of God. You can give them scriptures. Scriptures to memorize, and I've got those written out. I'm going to pass it along to you. And they may agree with every point that salvation is God's free gift. Many people were not dealt with properly at the time of their salvation. You see, we are saved from the penalty of sin. And we are saved because Jesus Christ paid our payment on the cross. He died for us. That's why the Lord Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit would be in the world, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That judgment is the fact that sin has been judged. That's what Jesus did when he died on the cross. He paid our judgment. He paid our sin, our sin debt. We are being saved from the power of sin by the indwelling Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus, who ever liveth to make intercession for us. We shall be saved from the very presence of sin. We are saved from the penalty of sin 
That's our justification. Our justification. It's not just as if we were never sinners or sinned. We were just as if we never sinners. We've got Jesus' record. We have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have his record. The only way I'm going to get into heaven is on Christ's record. I, after all these years, have built up no merit, none. I have no merit of my own. I'm going to get to heaven the same way I trusted Christ as Savior, only on the merit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And sometimes people have not been dealt with properly about that. They think they've got to keep doing something to be saved. But we're saved. That penalty is paid, and we're justified. Just as if I were never even a sinner. And so the sanctification comes. I happen to believe it's progressive. It's perfect in the eyes of God because we're seated with him in heaven. The Lord sees us as our sins are forgiven and we have no sinful record. But day by day, he gives us the power and the strength to overcome temptation and sin. And then we believe someday when we lay down this robe of flesh, we're having our glorification. We'll be with him. He appeared on Calvary for our justification. He appears in heaven for our sanctification. He will appear in the clouds for us for our glorification. So explaining to people from the word of God, always take them back to the Lord, to the Holy Spirit, to the Bible. Don't you be the evidence. Don't you be the proof. I learned years ago that uh, I can say, what does the Bible say? What does the word of God say? And of course, there's evidence in the witness of the Holy Spirit, but it's a difficult thing, but always stay with the word of God. And then question number three says, what are your thoughts on children's church? Well, I'm going to make some people mad. I really am, but I don't care to do that. I don't believe in children's church. I believe in one church. I believe children will be taught the word of God and not having alternative churches. There may be people you're reaching that need indoctrination before they learn how to worship. They need to learn about song books and Bibles and that kind of thing. There might be an integration into things, but I love to see everybody worship together. And uh, we have thousands of people who come our church has 10,000 members, so I, 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 don't have a, I don't have that. Now, we have a, a great bus ministry where we're reaching children, and there comes a time to reach them. But the problem there is to helping them grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This past Sunday, we had 20-something people make professions of faith through our bus ministry, and we're grateful to God for that. But now they've got to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. How does that child integrate, that teenager integrate, that adult integrate to become true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not just about getting the gospel to people, though it is getting the gospel to people. That's the starting point. That's the beginning point. You want to build a strong church, it's the Lord that makes it strong. And strong churches, strong meat, strong people, strong families. May God guide us and help us. And so I, I say to you, if you have a temptation to think, well, somebody's having a big hullabaloo and they're getting a big crowd. Well, you could have somebody fly from a helicopter and drop out of the helicopter and get a big crowd. What are you going to do the next Sunday? Look, I, I, I've... In 55 years, you've just about seen it all. And uh, I, don't, I don't want to stoop with this thing. Stay with the word of God and say, well, sometimes it's boring. You're not boring if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. People say that old songs, the old hymns, and all that. that old, those old hymns aren't boring. People sing them full of the Holy Ghost and excited about what the Lord's doing. You must be the generation that doesn't drop the flag, doesn't lower the standard. Enough of doing that. Why do you think 4,500 churches closed? They lost interest, not just interest, 
They lost interest in God and God's word. And all this boring stuff they're getting from church that pops up for a while and fades, you can't keep that satisfied. There's no way you can keep that sustained. There's no way. You got one singing tree this week. How many are you going to have next week or next year? I, I went to a thing where I went and heard about a thing where a man said they had, a, had an angel flying from the ceiling in the rafters. And next year they had to have two angels. And one year they're going to have three angels. They're going to try to get 12 angels flying. What's that doing? I'm just saying how silly Christians get. Real leadership. Real leadership. You don't have, you don't have it just because you're a Christian. You know, you can be a, a leader without being a shepherd. But you can't be a shepherd without being a leader. And God's people are depending on you. Not to entertain them but to give them the truth, the truth. No one in the world can give them the truth. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. You're, you're, you're dishing out the truth to people. Don't settle for some other little circus idea. I, I know I put myself in a, a corner, but praise God, it's the corner I want to be in. And I want young men and old men and all men to know that where we started, we ought to stay. That's with the Lord and with his word. And we have a passion for souls. We ought to speak the truth in love. We ought to lead people to Christ. I tell people soul winning is going in the power of the Holy Spirit, giving a clear presentation of the gospel. And bring a person to the place of receiving and rejecting Jesus Christ. I close with this. The other day I was in Atlanta. And I wanted to take a little detour. So I took a detour down to Lucky Street. Lucky Street in Atlanta. And I drove to the Atlanta Baptist Tabernacle. It's still standing. It's been remodeled. It still seats 2,600 people. I was in it 40 years ago. It was the old Lynn G. Brogdon tabernacle. It was filled with people hearing the gospel. Today, it's been given away to the rock music people. It's a rock music concert. It was the most powerful church in Atlanta. It was the greatest soul winning station in the southeastern United States. It was the Atlanta Baptist Tabernacle on Lucky Street. Filled with the gospel, filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something. Today, it's a piece of junk with nothing but rock music. And there are great mega churches and auditoriums all across America that are headed the same way, the same way when somebody changes the gospel for something else, when they trade in the Bible for something else, you just stay everlastingly at it. Keep preaching the truth in love. God will come through. Revival will come. The Lord will break through. Heaven will send its message to us. You stay with it. Someday you're going to push that door and it's hard to open. But someday you're going to push it and God, the Holy Spirit, is at the same door and he'll open it for you and you'll see it. God will work in a mighty way. Stay everlastingly at it. In simplicity and godly sincerity. Obedience to God. Just say in your soul, I'm not going to disobey the Lord. He called me. He sent me. I'm never going to disobey him. God bless you. I'm praying for you. Let's pray for one another. And let's pray that there'll be a mighty revival among our people 
in this country, all through this country. And there's over 50 people, 50 countries around the world now watching us on this Shepherd Summit. Let's pray for real revival. Heavenly Father, we yield to you and we pray for your divine anointing to fall on every preacher who will seek to obey you. Bless him, bless his family, bless his wife, bless his children, bless the ministry that he's caring for. Let him not grow weary in well-doing. Help him to know in due season he shall reap if he faints not. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining me today. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Baptist Friends Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing today. And join us next time as we continue to gather around truth, friendship, and world evangelism.